I like to get things done as efficiently as and quickly as possible, but at, at still at a high level. And I feel like with my company, because I've decided to do everything on my own, I haven't hired people to help me who specialize in certain things, even like, you know, things like Facebook and, you know, social media, I've decided to teach myself everything. So there's a lot, a lot of wasted time that I feel like I could have just approached it differently. Welcome to The Future Podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between creativity, business, and personal development. I'm Greg Gunn. 2020 sort of normalized the concept of remote work. And thanks to COVID-19, a lot of people were forced to take their office home and find new ways to do business and stay connected, whether they liked it or not. I'm looking at you, Zoom. But before the pandemic, remote work wasn't that common at least not in the creative industry, which makes today's guest quite the anomaly. You see, he was working remotely before all of this, like in 2001. And he was working with big names like Kyle Cooper and Danny Yount, titans of the motion design world. And he was doing it all from his home in the Midwest, in Kansas City. Now, this conversation is from 2018, which makes it sound like it was 10 years ago. But I'm willing to bet that a lot of people still think you have to live on the coast or in a major city to work with the big companies on high-profile projects. Spoiler alert, not true. In fact, it's far easier to land those jobs now more than ever. And today's guest is a testament to that statement because he still lives in the Midwest, is self-taught, and has worked with some of the biggest companies in the world. In this episode, he walks Chris through his journey from remote freelancer to studio owner to now teaching motion design and creating educational products. He and Chris discuss the steps and decisions he made to get where he is today, and they even share the financial milestones along the way. Everything from his early freelancing day rate to his current business revenue goals. So if you feel landlocked and like there's no way you'll make it into the big leagues, give this chat a listen. Maybe it'll change your mind. Please enjoy our conversation with Cameron Pierron. Hey, Cameron, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you on the show because I feel that there's some kind of kindred spirit energy going on in what you're doing with Motion Science TV. So for people who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction? Sure. Uh, My name is Cameron Piron. Um, I have been a motion designer since 2001. Uh, I was a freelancer for the last 12 years. And about three years ago, I decided to start up a online platform for education called motion science how long has that been it's been going for about three years three years yeah the first like year to two years i didn't take it very seriously i just kind Mm -hmm. of like you know was putting some content out there Mm -hmm. uh, just to see how people would react to it Mm -hmm. Um, but then i started getting a lot of response so i decided to take it more seriously okay so I'm doing the math here i'm trying to kind of figure out the timeline you've been a motion designer since 2001 yes but you've been a freelancer for 12 years, so mm-hmm. you were staffed somewhere. Yeah? Yes, I did. Okay. I, I started out, um, you know, I had an interesting journey. So um, I was, you know, staffed at a, at a small TV station um, in Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I got this opportunity just to come in and, like, be a producer, director, writer, like everything, editor. Uh, you know, motion graphics was just something that was just kind of, you know, starting out back then. Yeah. And so I was, you know, making these commercials for like car dealerships and pawn shops, <laughs> you know, yeah, just things that weren't, you know, like, you know, not super proud to say that I worked on that stuff, but I did. That's where I got my start. So, well, okay. You're part of that second wave of motion designers. I would consider myself like wave one because I started in 1995. So you're, you're, you're right. You're right there at the beginning of something and I just have a quick question. How did you know how to do what it is that you're doing? Because second wave, it's not a mature industry yet. Schools aren't teaching this stuff yet, as far as I know. Right. It's funny because I always considered myself the first wave as well. But, you know, <laughs> okay, maybe you're yeah. at the end of the first wave. Yeah. yeah That's yeah, fair. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, so like how I learned was um, one day a buddy of mine at this TV station showed me uh, some work from G Monk that oh, was online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And man, I just saw that stuff and I was like, what the hell is this? And how is this guy doing this? Stuff? <laughs> yeah. And so my, uh, my buddy knew that it was after effects and I think mm -hmm. it was 3.1 at that time. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me a copy of it and, uh, I just started playing around and I did, you know, just a ton of spec work just for myself. Like I would work at my TV station during the day, I'd go home at night and I'd just start, you know, just creating whatever it is I wanted to create. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got, you know, pretty good at, at my craft. Mm -hmm. So that um, I, I I made a demo reel essentially off of spec work over mm -hmm. the course of two years, and that landed me a job at a, a studio in a bigger city, uh, Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And that was like I, I got to do work that was more like regional stuff. It wasn't like national work, but it was it wasn't like your local you know pawn shop and car dealer. Mm -hmm. So I, I started working there and I started learning off the guys I was working with. There was only three of us and, you know, continued to, to like perfect my craft. And I was able to take a little bit of the work I did there, but I also continued to just to create spec work on my own. And after two years there, I actually created another demo reel that I sent off to Kyle Cooper mm -hmm. and he immediately hired me to be uh, a remote freelancer at that point. What year was this? 2006. Okay. So now you're working remotely as a freelance animator or motion designer? I started as an animator. Mm -hmm. um, I had never taken an art class in my life. Wow. So I had no idea. I mean, I was scared to death to design anything. Like mm -hmm. I, people would ask me like, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm an animator. That's what I do. I don't design. Um, but it was like a couple, maybe a couple years into freelancing that uh, Digital Kitchen asked me to actually design some style frames. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I did it. And they were like, you know, very happy with what I produced. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe I do have something here that I can actually be a motion designer mm -hmm. and, and just kind of, you know, kept going from there. So what was it like? Uh, we have a lot of overlap here for sure. And Kyle Cooper and G Monk and all that. What was it like for you working remotely with Kyle Cooper on what I assume to be main title projects? Mm -hmm. oh, it was amazing. I I was you know kind of in awe mm -hmm. uh, every project I'd work with him on. Um, I you know I got to actually work with him one on one on a couple projects. I actually got to work more with uh, Danny Yaunt, mm -hmm. um, and I didn't even know who he was at that point. But you know starting to work on these projects with him and. Uh, it's just like just to see the way that these two guys would would approach these projects. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, I learned quite a bit mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what rate you were charging back in the day when you're working at uh, or working for um, Prologue remotely? I want to say it was four fifty a day. Mm -hmm. And how did you feel about that amount of money? Well, it felt pretty good to me at mm -hmm. the time. Um, you know, I, I can't remember if I was to like break down my employee salary at the time. I think it was, you know, it wasn't that much. It was like maybe half of that or, you know, two thirds of that. So right. to me, just to step into that freelancing wor world at 450 uh, was pretty awesome. Yeah. So people who are, are new or perhaps listening to us like, what? He's making $450 a day. That's fantastic. And then they can start to compare their own staff job. Now, here's a sidebar for you guys. Staff jobs are going to pay a lot less than freelancers because they are guaranteeing you a job. You don't have to worry about invoicing or finding new leads. There's no gap. You get holidays and vacation and insurance and all that kind of stuff. So there is that thing. So we just want to I just want to make sure so everybody doesn't start quitting their job tomorrow. OK, <laughs> so you're doing this remotely. You're working with Danny and Kyle. You're in all the work. I mean, they still continue to this day, do some of the most amazing motion design work out there, bar none. Yes. And so here you are, you're, you're in Kansas city at this point or? Yes. Okay. You're in Kansas city working. Like, do you pinch yourself? Like, how did this happen? Or? Yes. Talk, talk me through that. Cause you're one of the first people that's not on the coast that I'm talking to that's doing work that's up there with everybody else. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, back then it was like, re I, 
I was the only remote artist that I knew of. Like I live in my own little bubble, you know, in mm -hmm. Kansas City. I'm still in Kansas City. But, you know, it's like um, to me, it was it was crazy because I was getting the same work that these guys who were living on the coast were getting. I was getting paid the same amount or, um, you know, maybe slightly less or slightly more than some of them, you know, at the time as well. So it was yeah. like I've got this low cost of living. I'm doing the same work. And, you know, making the same amount of money. So this is this is awesome. Right. So, you know, being a remote artist, I mean, it worked for me. I had uh, two small kids at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I did travel uh, to Seattle a few times over the course of a couple of years, um, you know, where they wanted me in house. But then that was it. Like and I traveled to New York one time as well. But that was, you know, I traveled maybe four or five times total. And the rest of the my freelancing career has been remote. Mm -hmm. You traveled to, I, I assume, DK? Was that for the Seattle yes. trip? Yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. was it because they needed you there or you just wanted to go get some FaceTime? They wanted me there. Was there um, any specific reason why? The The first job, I think there was two jobs I went out there for. The first job was just, it was a, um, it was kind of like a, you know, a quick job for Microsoft and they wanted the team all in house so we could just work closely together and we could pass pieces of the project back and forth without any type of hiccup. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, back then, like remote was still kind of a new thing. Like people weren't trusting the process so much. Like, well, you have to be here and you have to be part of the team. We have to see what you're doing in person, you know, to, to make sure you're legit. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that I also ended up working for another company in Seattle called Loaded Pictures mm -hmm. and, uh, they flew me out there a couple times as well. But yeah, it's like, you know, and then it's like, I guess my name would start getting passed around and I think I got that reputation of, I could, I could work quickly. I was reputable and, you know, I could do it remote. So then it just kind of turned into just all remote work. Mm -hmm. Well, you're doing it right because you're able to command the same amount of money as people who live in much more expensive places, right? So mm -hmm. you're able to have the lifestyle and spend the time and you're also managing your own hours. So there's a lot of questions. I'm sure somebody's listening to this and saying, okay, so how does somebody do what you do? What steps do they need to take? How did you even get the work in the first place as a guy who's based out of Kansas City? Well, it was all based on my demo reel. Okay. Did you send it to people? Yeah, they, I mean, well, I mean, like the first time was I sent it to one person, which was Kyle Cooper, and he mm -hmm. called me within two hours of getting the reel, and he's wow. like, "Let's let's talk." Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise, it was yeah, you know, just it was my reel was just up online. It was on YouTube at the time, okay. and you know, and it was uh, word of mouth. Okay, is it still up on YouTube? Uh. I, one of them, is, I think one okay. of the older ones is up there. I, so yeah. what would we search for to find it on YouTube? Well, I don't know if that's the first reel. I think it's the second reel I did, okay. which is, uh, it's just under AK Mr. Black. AK Mr. Black. Yeah. Why do you go by the name Mr. Black, by the way? Oh, uh, just when I was younger, I wore a lot of black. I still I do see. to this day. And mm -hmm. my friends would always just kind of give me, you know, give me a hard time about it. And I was a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. Mm -hmm. So they were just like, oh, it's Mr. Black again. So I just kind of stuck <laughs> yeah that's cool i thought maybe it was like a, a um reservoir dogs res reference there everybody wanted to be mr black instead of mr mm -hmm. pink or mr yellow mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> okay so you created a demo reel and you you figure out kyle's email address and you send it to him and then two hours later he's calling you he's like hey i got a thing for you now here's huh. what i know i haven't seen your reel i've seen only the motion science stuff but i will say this as validation for you and your talent Kyle knows how to spot talent and he can see it from a mile away and he's not hesitant at all. If he sees somebody he likes, whether you're a designer, an animator or fill in the blank, he's going to reach out to you as soon as he figures out who you are. That's how he is. So he's not going to call anybody. He's going to call a specific somebody. And that means that your demo reel must have been pretty dope at that time already. Yeah. Mm. And this is all remarkably self-taught. Yes. You learn how to animate on your own. You learn how to design on your own and you're putting something together. Again, Kyle's not going to call you because you know how to animate well. It has to look good and it has to be well designed. Otherwise, there's no way it's going to, there's no way he's going to act on that, right? Right. So fantastic. So you're freelancing now. A lot of shops have looked at your about page and it says you freelance for Buck, uh, for a bunch of TV stations, Prolog, Superfad, just a whole bunch of people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not TV stations, I'm sorry. There's just your clients. Okay, fantastic. So at what point in your story do you start to think, you know, maybe I want to do something different? 
Why did you start the motion science stuff? Well, I mean, I would actually back up. So okay. like in 2011 ish, I, I kind of, you know, I've been doing freelance for five years at that time. And I was getting frustrated with the fact that I could only get like a piece of a project mm -hmm. and I wanted to get more of an entire project or, or the whole thing. And with that came like a, a larger budget, you know, more money in my pocket. So that became kind of an important thing to me just to get a, a you know, a bigger project. And so I, I found a guy here in Kansas city who was doing the same thing I was doing. Uh, he was working with the networks, uh, on the East coast. And mm -hmm. so we, we teamed up and we created this small little company we called project blackbird. Okay. And I thought, you know, maybe this was my opportunity to really, you know, grow this little company into something large, have employees, you know, create killer work, more income to me. And it was like, kind of like my escape maybe out of freelancing. And so I did that for like four years. And during that time, I realized that I got really lazy and the quality of my work started to suffer because I was all of a sudden we were getting these, these larger projects through these networks, but the money was there. The creative was so, so. And so I just, you know, like I said, got lazy. And all of a sudden I looked at, at our demo reel and I'm like, this, this is crap. And like mm. where, what happened? Mm -hmm. So that's when I was just like, I, I started moving back into freelancing. I decided to leave this company and I started freelancing and I started looking back at when I had the company and I would, I would interview these kids out of art school. Right. And I would, for these few positions we had, I'd interview them and, and they'd go to like, you know, these, these awesome art schools, learn motion design. But then I would see like, okay, you went, you, you went for four years, you have a degree in, in, you know, motion design, but yet you can't proficiently take a task in after effects and, you know, accomplish it. I so there was, a, there was this gap I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And it was not with just a couple, I mean, there was a lot of people. So I was just like, you know what, let me try my hand at creating some tutorials that are different. And I did that, put them up on YouTube. And it, like I said, it started taking off and I thought, okay, this is an opportunity. I need to jump on this. Um, the approach I want to take with motion science, I don't see really anybody else doing this. Um, so that's kind of how it went. Is that 2015 when you launched? Because you said it's three years ago? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to fill out all the gaps in my mind in the timeline here. So right. let me just quickly yeah. recap and see if I missed anything. So you're freelancing and then you wanted to start a company, which is a natural progression. Like, how do I scale this operation? Can I do the full project or not? And that is, and you do that for what, uh, four years from 2007 yes. to 2011? Yeah. And then, then you just, like, what does the structure look like with you and your partner? Like how many people that work for you? Are they working remotely or do you guys have an office space? Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so we were a 50-50 partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had an office space. Uh, we had at one point, I think we had six people total working. Mm -hmm. So there's eight of us all together. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were just moving through these network projects, like I said. But it, it also turned into, okay, now there's six people sitting in chairs here. So we need to bring in work to, yeah. to pay them. Right. Right. And that's when I feel like the work started to really suffer. I see. Because you had to take on more and more projects and it's like, yeah, maybe as a freelancer, you might have skipped on that. Yes. Now you got to just keep the engine moving and you get caught up in the business cycle. So I know that that pain point very well. Um, during these four years that you're running your company, if I may ask, how much was the most that you build in a year? I want to say it was 650. Mm hmm. Yeah, we never like our goal was to hit this, you know, the million dollar mark. Right. We never we could never hit it. Mm. But uh, as the company was hitting that four year mark, my uh, business partner started going through this um, all this program through the Kauffman Foundation, which is it's a world renowned foundation where they teach you to scale up any business. Mm -hmm. And so we were on the verge of doing everything we needed to do in the proper way to scale this business to like, you know, millions. But that's when I was just like, I'm out. Right. You know, and I, it was, it was a low, low point in my life because it's like, I feel like I let down It's you know, having a partnership, it's like a marriage. Yeah. 
So it was it was really difficult to tell him like, hey, man, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's you know, there's you have to uh, fulfill the thing inside of you to keep going. And it's like you can only do so much for other people. And I feel like I was kind of propping him up and I, it was not a good time. Tell me what was going on in your head the minutes, the days before you actually had this conversation with him. Like, how did this play out in your mind? Oh, uh, I mean, like, you know, I was just super nervous, of course. And it's just like, I just felt like, you know, I had gone through a divorce when I was much, I got married very young and had two kids and went through a divorce. And so I, I felt like I was reliving that all over again, you know, wow. cause it's like, yeah. yeah, it was, it was Holy hard, cow. man. And like, to be completely honest, like, you know, I, I love the guy. We're still friends, but I felt like I was propping this, this business was resting on my shoulders. It's yeah. like he had these amazing contacts, but at the end of the day, it came down to me to, you know, to, to produce the, the, the amazing work that we, you know, send out the door. So right. it's just like, uh, it was just, it was hard. So this is a business, like when you said to partner, I just assumed he was another motion designer, but he's a more of a business person. Well, he was a, he was a motion designer as well. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But you had to do the heavy lifting when it came to the actual design. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so when you went to tell him, how did he take it? Uh, he took it fairly well. I think maybe he knew, Yeah. you know, something was coming. It, it got to the point as well in the last year of our business that I wasn't coming into the office. I had gone back to doing remote work oh. here. Yeah. Here at my house. And, you know, he said he was okay with that. And we, we still worked through all the projects together and, you know, nothing, you know, ever fell through. We, we always delivered on time. We always, you know, provided what we said we'd provide, but right. you know, I think he knew it was coming. Yeah. Well, once you start disappearing, it's like, oh, something funny is happening now. It's not funny yeah. anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So are they still in business today? No. And and how quickly did that come apart? I mean, I, I told him I was out and we wrapped up the projects we were on within a few months. And then it was, I mean, it took a year total to wrap it up because there's all these loose ends. Yeah. Of things. Wow. Yeah. That's a slow divorce. Yes. Okay. So it took you a year to kind of extricate yourself. So when you said 2011, are you counting that as out or it was now 2012 that you're out? No, we started, I got to get the numbers. We started the business around 2010, 2011. Oh, okay. Maybe I messed up on my writing here. Yeah. So around, around 2015 is when it came to an end. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Then that arcs you right into motion science. Yes. I see. Okay. All right. So... You, you wrap up, it takes, a, and everybody that's listening to this, I'm going to caution you right now. Try not to get a partner or investor because you have to go through the divorce and it's painful. I've done it more than once. So take my word for it. It seems like that's the way to go. You, you mitigate your risk by sharing it with somebody else. But when things go sideways or you have a different vision and it's the machine, if you're just by yourself, you get to make the decisions. And that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is you get to call the shots. When you introduce a partner or an investor, now you ha- you're held accountable to somebody else. And it's a difficult thing to go through. So here you are. You're, you're done. He, he moves on. You move on. And how do you feel afterwards? Well, I felt like a big failure. You know, just like... Like just to throw in a little side bit during all during this time I had uh, Project Blackbird, I also mm-hmm. decided I was going to become a a EDM producer, right? Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. so it's kind of like a mid, <laughs> mid, midlife crisis, right? It is. Yeah. Oh my god, an EDM yeah. producer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Okay. And what yeah. brought that about? Oh, I've always loved electronic music. Yeah. Always. And when EDM exploded, I was I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I decided that I could be a, a designer. So yeah. why can't I be a musician? So I actually created, you know, why built not? a little home studio <laughs> and started producing music. <laughs> I produced a yeah. lot of music. Yeah. Yeah. Any of it good? I mean, some yeah. Yeah. It's decent. Yeah. All right. So you okay. We'll talk about your EDM career later. I'm just gonna make a note <laughs> of this. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you feel like a failure. I thought you were going to say something totally different. I thought you were going to say, man, I was dreading this moment. It was painful. We've gone through it a year later, and I feel like a new person. No, I wish I. Gosh. Felt, yeah. So this is like hard upon hard. Like you fall, and then you scrape your knee on the way down. Yeah. 
gosh, okay, because I know this, I know this, and I feel this sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if why I keep doing what I do is because I don't want to feel like a failure. But, right. you know, sometimes when things don't work, you got to just change and you have to know when to cut your losses and walk away. Yes. It hurts. As an entrepreneur, yep. there's ego involved and there's self-esteem involved. And you think, man, if that fails, what else am I going to fail at? So you hold on to it so tight and you stay in a relationship, a personal or business relationship, longer than you're supposed to. But you did it and you got through it and now you're coming out of that and then you decide to start the motion science stuff? Yes. Yes. Okay, I, I can see the arc now. The, 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 the parts and pieces make a lot of sense to me now in that when you started a company, you were bringing in people. So now you're in that position of being an employer and you see all these young people wanting work from you and you're like, whoa, holy cow, you paid what? And this is all you know how to do? Mm-hmm. So that begins this next next arc in your life, right? Yes. So tell me how you started to develop the first program. How did you launch it? What was the feedback? Well, I started um, by creating this tutorial called 3D Camera Techniques. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a 21-minute tutorial that I put up on YouTube. And I wanted to approach training in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. So I made it like this beautiful, very succinct, to the point tutorial with, you know, there was no, I, the whole thing was scripted out. It took me, I don't know, two months to produce this 21 minute video because I wanted it to look beautiful. And it's like, well, I'll try something different. And that's what I just, I threw that out there. And like I said, it started getting traction. Mm-hmm. And so from that point, um, gosh, it was, I created, I think here, three Three other, two other, like, you know, really what I call beautiful tutorials. And then I just started kind of pumping out content because I was like, okay, well, I can't spend two months on a tutorial at a time, right? It's not feasible. Mm -hmm. So I started just kind of pumping out content for the next, I don't know, six months or so, almost weekly. And then I hired a business coach, a life coach. And she was like, you got to just, you got to step this up and you got to create some actual like material that people, uh, would, you know, want to purchase. And, uh, so that's what I did. So I, I started with these three small tutorials, uh, or not tutorials, training, uh, series mm-hmm. that would, I priced them super low, way too low. Uh, I didn't value my, what I was how, teaching. How much were they? Gosh, at that point they were like $7. Wow. That is way 40, too low. Yeah, seven dollars, forty dollars, and like fifty or something like that. I mean, just like I don't. But at the same time, I didn't know. Like in this, you know, in education, it's like, well, what do I charge for this kind right, of stuff? What right. do people? You know, what do they want to pay? Because you can go two ways, in my opinion. You can either go, you know, to the masses at a lower price point, or you can go uh, to the more serious select few at a higher price point. Right. And w- was some of this like this is easy for me and. This shouldn't cost too much. Were you kind of debating it with yourself? Like, yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually had a um, a couple. Well, one student in, in very particular who actually reached out to me multiple times through email and told me like I'm doing it a disgrace to this industry by putting out too much great content for not not enough money. Mm. And that kind of stuck with me. Like, yeah. What? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you you create these three tutorials or courses or whatever they are and you price them differently and then your business coach says you know let's let's figure out the business model here yeah well she started uh, yeah. all all personal with me like okay well what you know why why am i not worth more mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. what inside of me is, is saying like i'm not worth this mm-hmm. so we had to work on all that stuff and then it turned into the business i see yeah and what triggered you calling this person and how did you find this person um, actually through my wife, she's okay. real big on like, uh, self-help and she has been through the years and she knows so many different gurus all over the world. And she recommended this person to me and mm-hmm. I, next thing I knew I signed up with her and was working with her for a year. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Cameron Pierron. Welcome back to our conversation with Cameron Pierron. Let's go forward in time now. I'm seeing the modern iteration of Motion Science TV. So tell me how we got where we got. 
Like why, why is it the way it is right now? Well, I mean, like I'm constantly, I'm still learning so much about online education. So I'm still, now I'm working with another coach and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working on my messaging. So what you're seeing, you know, today is the messaging that, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to be the, the hardest part for me. So like, I'm an introvert. I'm not, you know, which I, I've, you know, read many things that you've written about yourself that, mm -hmm. you know, you are as well. And yeah. it's like, so for me to get out there and talk to people and, and try to teach people things and put my messaging and, you know, sentences, you know, online, it's, it's always been, it's been very challenging for me, mm. but you know, it, recently I've just, I've started learning just to come from, from the heart and just say it and just in words that people just like, I'm just talking to, you know, whoever don't, I don't have to make it this big, you know, spiel about using this word and this word and make it so everyone just loves it. Just be me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like when you talk about yourself or your work that you're being too much of a salesperson, does it feel inauthentic to you? Yes. Okay. So it sounds to me like that your first life business coach was a person who helped you kind of accept who you are and to understand that you're worth more than you think you are. So there's some self-esteem issues being worked through. She's helping you develop your own self-confidence. But like we all know, just because you go to a couple of sessions, albeit for even a year, it doesn't fix all the things, right? Because there's some deep-seated stuff like still water runs deep kind of thing. Yes. So you're, all, you're constantly battling that. And so many people in the creative industry suffer from some kind of imposter syndrome. And so when we talk about money or putting yourself out there, that's the scariest thing that they can hear. Yeah. Okay, so now you're learning to craft this thing more conversational. And I see that I'm on your page and it's it's very stripped down site. And yes. the thing that you offer up is if you're interested, you're going to get to watch a free 20 minute training video if you give me your name and email. So you're doing a tripwire. You're, you're asking for an email in exchange for something that somebody might find valuable. Is yes. this that initial thing that you you released, uh, mastering the 3D camera? Yes. Okay, so that's that tutorial still lives. Yes. Okay, fantastic. So now they're into your funnel, and then I, I haven't put in my thing yet, but if I do that, where does it take me after that? Well, it takes you to an email sequence mm -hmm. um, that you start receiving emails uh, every seven days. Mm-hmm. And it's just um, some more, you know, great content that I have that I've put out there that I think that um, will help you as a motion designer, mm -hmm. right? And it leads you on this path. And you know, ultimately, what I want is for um, I don't even, you know, the courses I have for sale, like I don't put those out there. It's like you have to be on this email list. You have to right. start receiving my information. And if you're interested, then you will find out about these later on. Right. It's a very interesting strategy. So we're going to do a hard pivot now here, you guys. Now we understand what Cameron's been up to, how he got to this point in his life and career and his inspiring background. I want to get into the business part because this is the thrust of what we talk about usually. This is very interesting. So you created some kind of automated email campaign that sequences itself out and you've taken the deliberate strategy. Like it's very hard to find and buy this stuff because if I was in a panic, I'm like, oh my God, I've seen motion science on Facebook. I need to buy it right now because I have a project due tomorrow. You can't do that, right? If you dig deep enough, you will find links. I see. Like, but it's like buried it's, in there somewhere. Yes, huh? it is buried in there. Okay. It's very interesting. So who did you learn this whole email marketing funnel building thing from? Uh, a little bit from the past coach I had. Um, I see. But more of it has been just um, self-research. Mm -hmm. You know, just I have different sites I like to go to and... Um, I'm, so the platform I use is called Kajabi. Yep. I'm familiar uh, with it. Right. So I'm in, um, a couple groups with, you know, other Kajabians mm -hmm. and I learned quite a bit off of the community. You know, that's no surprise to me. You've been a self-taught self-learner person. So yeah, I'm sure you're reverse engineering everything. Yes. Yes. Okay. So how many emails deep into it before they kind of reach the end of the sequence? Um, I think, believe there's nine emails. So okay. it's, you know, it's about 40, well, 70 something days. I think it is. I just changed it. It was like, there was more like 15 emails over the course of like a hundred and something days, but I felt like it wasn't authentic. Mm -hmm. So I went in and revised it. And that's something I've been doing a lot of lately, just as I'm, as I'm working through this and discovering who I really am and what I want to say, mm -hmm. you know, I'm constantly revising things. 
Okay. Let's just say somebody's like super interested right now. They're like, I, I don't want to hear the rest of this podcast. Get me to the end of the story. They're going to ask, how much does a course cost and what's included? So let's get to that part and I want to continue on with the story. Um, so what I really am pushing these days is a, is a membership course. Membership, it's called, okay. Yeah, it's called Stylecraft. Mm-hmm. And when I started Stylecraft, I, I did envision it just as a membership that you could come into at any time and you pay a monthly fee, but it turned into an actual course. So it's a 52 week course Mm -hmm. where you get content every single week. I only open up the course twice a year and we do live calls and in the whole shebang. So you get project files, you get live calls, you get uh, 52 weeks of training videos. Uh, We have a private community, um, all that jazz. It's It's a lot. Okay, so how much is it? It is currently priced at fifteen ninety five. Fifteen ninety five, and you only open this up twice a year. Yes. So if I'm on the email sequence, how does that work? Like, wh- how do I get in? Like, if I'm interested already. Well, so I have a waiting list. I see that, that you can get uh, add your name to, mm-hmm. uh, which I've you know it's that waiting list is building up um, for twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. But also, once you're on my list, when I actually do, um, you know, what I call a launch of my products, when mm-hmm. I relaunch them, you will get uh, another email sequence at that point, twice a year, talking about Stylecraft. Okay, I see. So I've also got a, a course on freelancing as well called The Freelance Effect. And that has been a, a course that's um, launched four times a year because it includes a lot of live components to it. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually have just recently revised it and I'm getting ready to relaunch it as like an evergreen so you can buy it at any time. It just does not have the live component to it anymore. And mm-hmm. that's going to be 397 I see. You have a very interesting business model. Man, my head is like, woo, let's, I want to compare notes and just like, okay, A to B. Okay, what are we doing? What are you doing? Okay, <laughs> so how many people can enroll in the... Stylecraft membership. Well, I I haven't hit my limit yet. So this first group that just came in, Mm -hmm. um, I just launched it in August 20th. And the first group, there was 45 people that jumped right in. And I closed it down. I only leave the, uh, what I call the cart open for five to seven days usually. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I I already have a a waiting list of that same amount of people for 2019. And Mm -hmm. I haven't, and that's, again, get on that waiting list. You have to kind of dig deep to even find that page to get on this list. So that tells me, you know, like I would love to have a hundred people in there this next, this next go around. Mm -hmm. You can accommodate a hundred people in the next go around with the live calls. Do you give critiques to the projects? I do. If they decide to upload their projects mm-hmm. um, to me, mm-hmm. I will do uh, live critiques. Mm. Okay. This sounds super fascinating. So I'm going to get really geeky on you just for half a second here. When you're doing these email automated email campaigns, are you doing this within the Kajabi ecosystem or is this an additional tool that you're using? It's within Kajabi. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I started with Active Campaign, mm-hmm. uh, but I moved into Kajabi. Okay, so then you can just continue to refine and edit that sequence and control when it gets released so you can compress or expand the amount of time in between yes. each email. Uh-huh. Mm, okay. All right. And then I, I'm just curious, out of the people who sign up for the, the demo and the email sequence that they get, how many of them actually convert into being either a customer of the freelance effect or the stylecraft? Um. You know, I don't have the numbers for that right now. I don't keep real good track of numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know like my conversion rates for my cold traffic that comes to to my site for the Tripwire. It's like 11 to 12 percent mm-hmm. conversion, which mm-hmm. is really well. You know? Yeah. Um, so I'd have to go into my numbers of who actually converts. But the thing is, is when I started this, you know, I was putting out different Tripwires and I was getting a lot of um, spam email addresses. Right. So I would get, you know, I, I would say I, I've got a third of my list is probably spam email. And so now I've changed into like for this double opt in system. So I get a lot less opt ins. I'm still converting at 11 to 12 percent, but the opt ins are um, 
much more quality opt-ins. They're see. more, you know, these are people that are more willing to, I think, purchase my products. Now yeah. I sell, I also have those three products I talked about uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. I sell a ton of those, but you know, they're still priced a hundred bucks and 85 bucks. So Where do I find that? You still have to be on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. This sounds like bananas to me, but I'm just, I want to keep going down this path with you. Okay. It's interesting. So you, okay. I, I, the more I talk to you, it's like, and then there's this, and then there's that. Okay. So how many products, how many SKUs do you have? You have style craft, you have five. five. Okay. So exactly yeah. what you said. There's nothing left. Okay. There's nothing else behind door number three. No, there is some stuff coming though. <laughs> okay. Are you running all this stuff by yourself? Yeah. I have a writer, but that's it. Okay. All right. So I, I see you, you found your niche, you've built up this funnel. And I, I, I think I know what happens. Somebody just wants to get the free mastering the 3D camera file so they can give you a junk email so they can just watch it. Right. Right. And then they don't care. I mean, my son does this. I it never even uh-huh. occurred to me before that I should create a junk email account. Yeah. Just to sign up for stuff, because I actually think, you know what? It's a fair trade. If you give me something I want, I'm going to give you my email address. It just don't kill me with spam. Otherwise, I'll yeah. just unsubscribe. And that's yes. fair. Right. But other people are like, no, I'm going to hold back my real email. I'm just going to give you junk. I yeah. think that's dishonest. That's my it opinion. Is. It is dishonest. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, like like when I do send email blasts about product launches, my open rates in the 40% mm-hmm. range, so, which mm-hmm. is great as well. Yeah, that's know? really high. Yeah. Okay. Now... I don't know how you arrived to this decision, but it's fascinating to me because we want to make it as easy as possible for people to buy our stuff. And we want to give them multiple ways of doing it. And I've never thought to kind of uh, use the funnel like this where there's only one, not only, but you're saying it's quite hard to find products and actually how to buy stuff from you. And what's the strategy? What's the thinking behind this? Because it sounds insane to me. Well, the thinking is that, you know, people want what they can't have, right? So mm-hmm. if like if people know that these, I mean, I, I get constant emails like, do, do you have, cor- where's your courses? You know, what do you offer? Like you have to sell something. And so the, people are like very intrigued by, you know, this mystery around what is motion science. So when they get that tripwire and they see 3D camera techniques and they get on the email sequence and they see, you know, several other videos I have for them that are just free. They, they realize that there's a lot of quality content here and I'm setting them up to, you know, like I shouldn't say I set them, I'm setting them up, but I'm like, I'm preparing them for when there is an offer, like here's a product you want to buy this. They're more apt to be like, okay, I've seen what this guy has produced, what he's given me for free. And there's that kind of like that reciprocity of like, okay, I'm going to give him some money right for this product. Mm-hmm. And it's worked so far. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, in terms of freelancing, I'm pretty much trying to wrap up my freelance career. Right. Good point. for you, man. Good yeah. for you. Mm. We're, we're kind of moving down. Now, this is where our two paths kind of start to dovetail into each other. So you're going, you've run the whole gamut. You've been yeah. in-house. You've been a freelancer. You started your own company. And now you're into a productized business, right? And now yeah. you're, you've got passive income, more or less. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, take me through your sales. 2015 or yeah, 2015, you start this thing. And then you're saying like in the last year, I guess this year, 2018 is when you started to really focus in on this to try to make it something. So mm-hmm. I, I, I will share with you our numbers as well, just kind of track along with you. Okay. So can you share those numbers? So I think up until through the end of 2017, I, I had sold like $10,000 worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And that was that was seven dollars, forty dollars. Right. Right, right. Right. So it's a lot of that was a lot, lot of, then. Yes, Holy cow. Right. Yeah. So so uh, so then when I got serious this year, mm-hmm. um, I want to say I'm about one sixty five right now mm-hmm. for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I plan on that, you know, increasing quite a bit next year. What are your goals for next year? Well, I'd love to hit 400. Okay, so pretty big jump there. Very big jump. Okay. I want to put this into context for a couple of people. And I think your story is going to inspire so many people because of who you are, where you are, and how you did it. Okay, and I'll explain that in a little bit. So let's look at this. 
this year you you are on track to do $165,000 a year. When you were a freelancer at the height of your freelancing career, prior to you starting Blackbird, Project Blackbird, what were you doing annually? 220. Okay. Good. And then when you were a business owner with Blackbird, what was your total gross take home uh, including owners or officers dividends? I would say my best year mm-hmm. was, oh man, I would say it's probably about 350. Okay. Okay. This all makes sense to me now. Okay. So guys, let me recap since I'm the numbers guy here. Let's kind of look at this. At, at the height of his freelance career, he was doing really well, almost a quarter million dollars, $220,000 working remotely. And I bet $220,000 goes a long way in Kansas City. You must be bawling in Kansas City. Do yeah. that kind of number, right? Yeah. And that's, I'm just going to try to make this as grounded as possible. When I was a kid, like 18 years old, my brother asked me, you know, what kind of job, what kind of career do you want to have? I said, I don't know, but it would be fantastic if I could do $100,000 a year. And I don't forget that conversation ever. So when you're doing a quarter million dollars as a freelancer, life is good. And then you go into starting a company and then you, you get all the headaches, dealing with a partner, managing people. And taking on projects that you don't necessarily want to take on because you have to just manage the overhead. Your best year was about $130,000 more. So to to put that in perspective, you guys, you're taking on a lot only to make a little bit more. Which you can see now like why you're like, what am I doing? This is not mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Now we're just doing work that I'm not proud of. And it's just like, ugh. And then you got to go through that grind like, oh, now it's become a job. So it's kind of interesting. Like you you start a company thinking you're going to get all this independence, freedom, and you get to do what you want. What people don't realize, it's sometimes the opposite of what you want. Exactly. Mm, now I can totally see that. So now you're taking a big step back by running the company, but it's yes. for the long game. Yep. So we can see now like you're going to be at the lowest you're going to be as a professional freelancer or a business owner. And now you're a different kind of business owner. But to make a productized business, it's tough. And we can see that from 2017 to 2018, if you were in Inc. Magazine, you would probably be the number one fastest growing company in America. Because to go from $10,000 to one hundred sixty, that's 165, uh, 16,500% growth or some crazy amount of growth mm-hmm. right there, right? That's yeah. ridiculous. Bonkers. Okay. So now you, you've kind of figured out your business model and now you're going to kind of optimize it and continue to grow it, right? So yes. we're looking at 400K. This is fantastic. Now, I promise I would share this and I, I've shared this in different places, but let's keep this together on this episode. The first year we started the future, which it was previously called the school, we did a whopping $17,000 in revenue. So if we wanted to do a, a new business, this was not the model to or the path to pursue. And so everybody that's ever started something to sell a kit, a course, or anything, you're going to relate to this because the first year is hard. It's really hard because basically we're losing a lot more money than we're making. And if we fast forward, so in the next year, year two, I think we did about 50K. Year three, we did 165K. And we're into year four. And uh, I'm sorry, year four is like 540,000. So every year we've been growing about three, 300%, three times. Wow. Yeah. And it's been fantastic. And every year I'm like, it can't continue down this path. It's just not possible. But here we are in our fourth or fifth year of doing this, and we're going to hit $1.6 million. Wow, that's awesome. Right? But let's just keep this in perspective, because if you keep doing this and you hit your goal of 400000 it's just you. There are no royalties that you have to pay. You're not keeping up a whole machine going, right? So you're going to probably put more money in your pocket than I am. I already can almost guarantee you that. So how many people are in the future? <laughs> too many people. Oh, my <laughs> God. We have too many people. Okay. We are, I think, six people full time. Okay. And we're absorbing the rest of the service side. So we're going to be about 12 people like any day now. Wow. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot pay everybody's salaries and the building that we live in or that we're in and all the equipment that we have, this is not going to happen. So this is uh, where things get really tough for us financially. So mm-hmm. we have to hit this 1.8 on our way to hopefully doing three and a half million dollars next year where then it all makes sense. Yeah. 
So you're in that same place. Like we're all going to write in 2019 is going to be a big year for both you and I. Yes. Because then you're going to realize more money than you've ever made, whether you're a freelancer or a business owner. And then I get to validate my business model and say, look, you 12 people, we all have jobs and we get to live the dream. Mm -hmm. We get to be the masters of our own destiny and we get to do whatever it is that we want. So, man, I'm, I'm just hoping that 2019 is an amazing year for both of us, that nothing crazy happens in this country, that we can just keep moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Right? It, it, it'll be an amazing year. Yes. Okay. So when you're doing this, what have you learned, like looking back now? Let's just pretend like we're 2019. It's all worked out for both of us. And you're looking back. It's like, what has happened for all this to come together for you? Well, I, well no. I mean, okay. like... Rephrase the question for me. Yeah, okay. I, I asked the question poorly. In order for you to hit your goals by the end of 2019, what kind of problems or things that do, do you feel like you need to solve? Because I know what my problems are. Well, the, my biggest problem right now is like this this Stylecraft membership, right? Yeah. It's like, as I'm moving through this week by week, it's a 52 week course and I'm building the content sometimes that week, sometimes two, three, four weeks in advance, but never much more than that. So I'm trying, it's like, I, I need to get, and then there's going to be Stylecraft, you know, two and three as well. And I, I want to get to the point where everything is just built out and I can focus solely on this live component and interacting with my community mm -hmm. and I can, and I can continue to, you know, build you know, more things that I want to put out there to the world for them to see. So okay. that's, that's, it's just like, it's getting this content built. Yeah. And I, I think some, you know, people don't realize how much time is involved. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's week after week. It's like, I'm, I'm, you know, first of all, when I said I'm going to build Starcraft, I had to map it all out. I had to be crystal clear on this is what the, it's going to do. This is what the content's going to be. You know, and after you get to that point, when you start actually building the content, you realize like, okay, well, what exactly is that content and right. what should it say and how should I say it and what examples should mm -hmm. I show, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I'm, a lot of these I'm building projects, you know, for them to download those project files and, and work along with me. And I want, you know, I'm a perfectionist. I like things uh, to be, you know, to look amazingly cool. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put so much time into building these projects that, you know, it's just like, I just want to get that done and just so I can focus on, you know, what's next and what, what am I going to, what am I going to, like, how can I improve my products and versus just, you know, getting the content in there. Right. Okay. It, it is self-evident if you've bumped into any of your content on Facebook. So let's first just tell people where they can find you on Facebook. Is it facebook.com slash motion science? It's motionscience.tv. Okay. That, that's the only one. Everywhere else, it's motion science. I see. Okay, so motionscience.tv is the website, but on Facebook, it's just motion science? It's, no, it's still motionscience.tv. Oh, TV. Yeah, because someone else had motion science. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I, know, I know. Oh, my God. But and like, are they doing anything with it? No, they're not. Yeah, you squatters. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. So... I see. It's motionscience.tv on the website and on the Facebook, but on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, you're motion science, right? Yes. Is that what you mean? Okay, perfect. All right. So you guys definitely want to check it out because, so here's the thing. Let's just, let's just be really honest and just brutal about this. If I'm scanning my Facebook timeline, there's a lot of garbage that's out there. But then I'm scanning, I'm like, Whoa, what is this? And I see one of your demos and it's designed well and it's got what I would consider uh, the skill sets that you need if you're a contemporary motion artist. It's not character animation. It's just really beautiful movements and bringing it on topography and graphic elements and breaking things apart. And you, you're quite masterful at creating depth and parallax with a 3D camera. And, uh, and I just appreciate the design. And we've done this dance, you and I, to try to get you on the show. And I'm just, I'm glad that we're here now. So you guys, yeah. if you see the work and, and Cameron's saying, I put a lot of time and energy into these things, it is self-evident. So in order for you to do this, I mean, you're entering into the world of pedagogy, like you're the theory and practice of education. And so I'm just curious, when you said you have no art training, where, what did you study in school? Did you go to school? No. So mm. I, you know, ever since I was little, I, I always wanted to be a director. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, I was set 
on going to USC. It was oh, either wow. US, yeah, it was USC or NYU, the two top film directing schools at the time. Okay. So that that's all I applied. I was a very, you know, very well educated student, you know, good grades, all that stuff. I applied to those two schools. NYU rejects me, USC accepts me. Okay. And I was like ecstatic. I'm going to USC. I'm going to be a director. And my parents, you know, God bless them, but they, my low money conscious came from them. Yeah. Or they, you know, contributed a lot to it. And they were like, good luck. You're on your own. Figure it out. And I, you know, was 18. I freaked out looking yeah. at the tuition costs. Right, right. So I'm like, I can't do that. I'm not going to take out, I think it was $200,000 at that time. This was in 1995. Yeah. And it's like, there's no way. So I had no backup school. So the next thing I know, you know, I, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, mm -hmm. and there's there's a school there called Wichita State University. Mm -hmm. So I sign up last minute, go for one semester, and am miserable. And so I drop out of college. Mm -hmm. And I started working for, like, I was a PA for a little company. and But that's, I mean, that was my education. Mm -hmm. I never took it. There was no art classes in high school. It was all, like, you know, like math. And I was very serious about my classes and I, there wasn't time for me to take an art class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I see. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I guess it's so, I, I, and people need to know this. It's not easy to get into USC. Come on. It is not easy. So you must've been a very good student, wrote a killer essay or combination there of extracurricular activities. I don't know. Well, I had I had two short films I made. That's okay, what got, that's what I got see. me into the, the program. You had proof of concept, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you're not some wannabe like film theory guy, right? Okay, and then the the sticker shock is ridiculous. And then yeah. your parents uh, and and you talked about this kind of is it considered Midwest Kansas City? Yes. Okay, so you have this Midwest thing, and I, I get it because I, I I I talk to people and they're like. Yeah, that's that's kind of a lot of money, and maybe we shouldn't spend money that way. Maybe there's other options, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not like you went through this four-year program and have great models to study. So where do you get your instincts from in terms of like this would make a good course? This is how you should teach stuff because there are people who have been part of institutions that for for decades that are not great teachers. Right. Well, I still question my ability to teach. Right. And I'm still learning. And, mm -hmm. I, and the best thing for me is when I do like these live calls with, you know, different students and I, I get their feedback or they leave me comments mm -hmm. in our community. It's like it's still every single week. I'm like, OK, I taught that well or I could have improved that yeah. or, you know, I'm actually constantly um, in shock of, of what I think that my students will like. To me, it's something, you know, like kind of mid-level and they'll mm -hmm. think of it as very high level. Right, right. right. So I'm still learning. But um, the the big thing was, you know, that YouTube, when I would watch these, like, because when I started motion, um, just being a freelance or not a freelance, when I started in motion design in mm -hmm. general, like mm -hmm. YouTube wasn't, I don't even know if it was around back then. If it was, it wasn't much of anything. Right. So it's like, you know, if I wanted to learn something, um, you know, I had to read it in a book or I had to just figure it out on my own. And then mm -hmm. when YouTube came along and all of a sudden there's all these tutorials out there to me, there, there's a lot of crap, right? There's just, there's all this like fluff. It's just like edit this thing down, you know, be concise with what you're trying to, to teach us and whatever the video may be about. And it's just like, there, there has to be a better way, right? For people to learn this stuff. And it, it also was very like, a lot of the stuff on YouTube is very, um, oh, like, I guess, generalized. It doesn't get very deep right. at all. And I like to get very deep in what I'm trying to explain, you know, and what I want to teach. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, I guess a culmination of those things. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I totally understand what you're saying. When you teach somebody and you actually see their reaction, it teaches you more about how to be a better teacher. So that expression, that cliche that people say, it's like, I've learned more from my students than I've ever taught them. It's true because... You live in your own bubble and you think this must be easy or this is really difficult. And then you see it in the faces of other people and their reaction. Then you realize what truly resonates with them, where they're leaning in and where they're like, uh, Cameron, where mm -hmm. are you thinking? I don't understand this at all. Then you go back to the board and you, you, you iterate and you fix and you change. And this is the, the thing that excites me the most about people like you who are in the education space, but are doing it a totally different way. So unlike in school where you sit around and you come up with a curriculum and you teach it and you kind of just 
you're not really incentivized to make it better because you get paid regardless, right? Yeah. Whereas you and I, it's like, if it don't work, we're not getting paid. Right. And we don't feel good about ourselves because there's a one-to-one relationship between the hard-earned money that person puts into your hands that you want to give value back to them, right? Whereas the schools act as a buffer. So the student gives the institution the money and then the teacher gets a small pittance of that amount. And so they're like, well, why should I do better? So I think this is why we need to change the business model, the teaching model, to incentivize instructors to do and create the most amazing classes ever. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like, you know, my students constantly tell me that they love the way that I teach, that I do teach differently. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was always like, okay, well, why is that? Like, you know, why, what makes me so much different than, you know, than Joe down the street teaching, you know, motion design. But I think it's maybe, you know, partially because I am coming from the place that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Is there anything that you would do differently looking back on your career, uh, being part of that first generation, first wave of motion designer that you would, if you had a do over, you would do differently, either as a freelancer, business owner, or running your own product company? Well, for my product company, I do a lot of things differently, I think, you know, just like I just, I jumped in not knowing anything and mm-hmm. just I spent a lot of there's a lot of wasted time, I guess. And like, I, I'm not one like I like to get things done as efficiently as and quickly as possible, but at, mm-hmm. at still at a high level. And I feel like with my company, because I've decided to do everything on my own, I haven't hired people to help me who specialize in certain things, even like, you know, things like Facebook and yeah you know, social media, I've decided to teach myself everything. So there's a lot, a lot of wasted time that I feel like, you know, I could have done, I could have just approached it differently. Yeah. But, but I'm also not one to look back and regret things because what's the, what's the point of having regret? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. so in terms of my motion, um, my motion design career, there's nothing I would have changed about it. I think that it was the path I was supposed to follow and it, you know, it's led me to the person I am today, which I'm very proud of and happy with. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything about that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Here's the message that I want you guys who are listening to this podcast to take away from this, if nothing else. OK, there's a lot to take away. But Cameron is from the Midwest. So he's comes from a small town. He's primarily self-taught reverse engineers everything and is able to work remotely from where he's at with some of the biggest companies in the world. And the reason why I need to make a point of this is so many people think, well, you're only successful because you're in LA. You're only successful because you went to that school or had these opportunities fall in your lap because I think they're looking for permission to let themselves off the hook. So it doesn't matter to me just hearing your story where you're from. You could be in LA, you can be in New York, or you can be in Kansas City or Egypt or wherever you're at. If you do work that is at the level in which it's going to get the attention of somebody like Kyle Cooper, that's where that's what you need to focus on. And then you need to be brave enough to send your work out to people and get your career going. And if you're really just jonesing to be where Cameron is and where I'm at, you can skip all that stuff. You can actually just start to think about creating something that's going to be useful and helpful to other people at any price point, whether it's seven, ten dollars or a hundred dollars. And you can realize if you are willing to put in the work to continually to get continue to get better, you can actually play the long game and potentially make more money than you've ever made in your life or thought possible. And that's the beauty of the world and the economy we live in right now, guys. So that's it. That's what I wanted you guys to get from this because I'm hearing your story, Cameron, and I was like, wow, this is super cool. And it doesn't hurt that you do killer work. How do people get in touch with you, Cameron? They go to motionscience.tv. Um, that's the easiest way to find me. Or you can just email me directly, Cameron at motionscience.tv. Cameron, I've seen you some of your videos, but you also have a great voice. So you were made to do this. So I, I wish you nothing but success. And let's smash those goals for 2019. Let's do it. Thank you so much. Hey, this is Cameron Pierron with motionscience.tv and you are listening to the future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. 
The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.